Hello, and welcome to Talking in Shul, a roundtable podcast. I'm your host, Tamar Fox, and I've got Zahava Stadler joining us from Toronto. Hi, Zahava. Hello, Tamar. And Mimi Lewis joining us from Somerville, Mass. Hi, Mimi. Hey. We are continuing to experiment with having single segment shows. Last month, we talked about how we want to see Hanukkah show up in a world full of Christmas. And we would really love your feedback on this show, on last show, and this new format. If you have thoughts on this or any other episode, please send them to me, tamar.fox at gmail.com with the subject line talking in shul. We've already gotten some really excellent feedback, so please don't be bashful. I know it's very hard for Jews to share their opinions, but if you have some, (laughs) do what you can. This month, we're talking about being Jewish at work. How do we explain and present ourselves as Jews at a Jewish workplace or a non-Jewish workplace? So a little behind the scenes notes, we actually recorded this whole episode and then my computer totally died and took with it the audio. And therefore we're recording again. So we've had this conversation once before, but in that time I was laid off and have started looking for a job and have received offers. So I have thought about this so much since we last talked and I am really excited to talk about it again with you too. I feel like I've already kind of jumped in a little bit, but I would love to hear from either of you just as a kind of like, Mimi, you work for a Jewish company now, correct? Yeah. With an emphasis on the ish, it's one of those social service agencies that started off in the Jewish world, but now serves Jews and non-Jews alike. So I think, you know, in the mission statement, it's an agency serving seniors. So there's something about, you know, consistent with our Jewish value of honoring the aging or something like that, honoring our father and mother. So there are things like company-wide emails about the Chagim or any sort of holiday coming up. But I would say more than half, maybe even more than 75% of the workforce is not Jewish. And probably about half of the seniors we serve are Jewish, which actually like creates... I don't know. If for me, it's it's a sometimes very strange environment where there's not an assumption that you're Jewish, but there's a little bit of shared understanding of Judaism. But I, I feel as a non-observant Jew, like not halachically observant, that is, that I have to do a little bit of extra work of like, so like, here's what I do. Here's what Jewish looks like in my home. And when people ask me, like, what is Shmini Yatzeret? And I'm like, okay, well, for me, it's not much. But you could also look at many Jewish websites that will tell you all about it. And I'll, I can tell you a little bit about what I know, but I don't go to shul for this. So I, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm in a, a little gray area. And probably most of the Jews in my agency are too. We just don't talk about the gray area very much. But the fact that you're getting questions already means that people in your workplace see you as somebody who is Jewish and Jewishly knowledgeable, which means that you've already shown up to a degree as present in your Judaism at work, it sounds like. For sure. For sure. Yep. I've talked a lot about my Judaism. For a while, there was no rabbi at one or chaplain rabbi at one of my work sites. And so I led Kabbalah Shabbat for residents. And I do really love having my Judaism part of my work life. I find 
as a social worker, it helps me connect with my residents really powerfully, whether they're Jewish or not Jewish. But the fact that the religious aspect of our agency is out there in some way allows me to bring that part of myself and allows others to share that with me. I have a question. Other than holidays, does your agency, like after Pittsburgh, did they send out an email or something? Like, do they seem attuned to like what it might be like to be Jewish and working for this agency or like what it means for the agency to be Jewish around anything other than holidays? Or is it really basically about holidays? It's a really good question. Yes, after Pittsburgh, there was a lot of communication. There was also a lot of communication after the murder of George Floyd. And and it was all actually came from our spiritual care department. A lot of reactions to world events come from our spiritual care department. And so I think they are very sensitive to what it means to be Jewish, both for our employees, but also really, really for our seniors who felt Pittsburgh in a to, I felt at least that they, they experienced Pittsburgh in a different way than people mm-hmm. talked enough about. <laughs> yeah. I ask just because I feel like there's kind of a couple of different ways of showing up as Jewish at work. And one of them and the one that I have like the most experience with is like ambassador to Judaism. You know, there's good and bad things about it. I have a lot to say about it. But the thing that I have sometimes wished for was more of a feeling of Jewish community within work. And especially after Pittsburgh, it didn't hit me right away. But a couple of days later, I was at work and I just got super upset and basically like couldn't handle myself and needed to go home. And my like grand boss had reached out to me like the night of Pittsburgh, but nobody said anything at work. And Now, when I'm kind of thinking through all of it, I think actually I would have liked something to be said, especially because I was already so publicly Jewish in that setting that it seemed weird to have this like big event that was very much about being Jewish that like work didn't acknowledge. Yeah, I um, I know from an agency perspective that at times it has been tricky to figure out when do we speak and when do we not? For example, whenever there's a conflict in Israel, Mm -hmm. the agency is sort of like, what do we say now? Or even we have a lot of Russian seniors in our community. And so when the war in Ukraine broke out, wondering like, what's the right message of comfort and support that doesn't actually create a politically charged conversation in a way that is inappropriate? Right. Zahava, this whole topic came because you uh, had just finished looking for a job and you were thinking about your kind of Jewish presentation. So I'm curious where you landed and how you thought about presenting yourself as you were interviewing and, and looking at jobs. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll circle back to the Tree of Life shooting later on because I think there was also an interesting conversation that I had around that at work, but I I wouldn't say it's so emblematic of my work life. So um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't job searching in the conventional way, like an opportunity to transition kind of came along that I wanted to jump on. And so I didn't have a lot of different interviews going on, but I did just finish a job at this moment. I'm between jobs and I'll be starting another one in a few weeks. And I'm really thinking about it 
I think it comes up a lot in the interviewing context. I am personally thinking about it in sort of the onboarding and connecting to new coworkers context. I find that when I start with a totally new set of people, my very visible Jewishness is like one of the things that they assimilate about me first. Mm -hmm. And there's an early phase of what I say and what I don't say and then what questions people feel comfortable asking or not. When I began a couple of jobs ago, I had been working there for about a week when the most blunt person on staff was like, can I ask you a question? What's with the headscarf? <laughs> and, you know, and I am perfectly chill answering questions like that. There are people who I know who are not and would have felt kind of unpleasantly confronted by that. I was fine with it. And then later, another coworker said to him, I'm so glad you asked because we were all wondering. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's something that happens in a new setting if people are either not familiar with some of the things that they see about my practice or, or they're, oh, I was vaguely aware of this kosher thing, but it seems like you don't even use the office forks. What's the deal with that, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like there's usually <laughs> some follow-up or refinement of people's understanding of things as they see it through me. And then I started working remotely. And it's a totally different thing because remote work both enables and forces you to offer a much more filtered and limited picture of yourself. Even my hair covering, which is visible on Zoom, is like not nearly as in your face as it would be in person. But also like you don't see me bringing my own food every single lunch and not joining you for Friday lunches at, you know, whatever it is. Or you don't see me in a very obvious way leaving early on winter Fridays because Shabbat is early and all of these things. You're just much less conscious of my Jewish practice as a remote coworker. So I'm just finishing up my first fully remote position and I'm about to start another one and thinking, okay, how intentional am I going to be about this? Do I want to be intentional about this? There's something sort of awkward about being purposeful about putting your Jewishness in somebody's face when it's not organic in that way. So that's something that I'm thinking a lot about. Less in the specific interview context, though I feel like it's much touchier in the interview context. So tomorrow, I want to hear a little bit about your recent interview experiences to the extent that you're comfortable sharing, because I think when you're truly interviewing with somebody who hasn't met you before, who's thinking about what it will be like to employ you, that's when things get a little delicate. Yeah. So my philosophy around interviewing has always been like, I don't bring up anything Jewish until I have an offer because I don't want it to... Well, the truth is, ultimately, I'm going to ask for a couple of leniencies in what may or may not be relatively strict policy so I want to wait to do that until I feel confident that they really want me. And then I'm happy to have the conversation. And I've never had a problem with it. I want to share a couple of ways that I have negotiated, like literally negotiated my Judaism with employers. So things that I feel I need to mention are leaving early for Shabbat in the winter and which I also am working fully remotely and have since 2019. And so in those contexts, it's less of an issue because it's like easy for me to work, you know, up until five minutes before Shabbat. And many a chala in my house has been braided while on a work call. Like I can, I can multitask in that way. 
but I do like there is a stop uh, and it is a very hard stop for me. And so I do need to bring that up. And the other thing is taking time off for Chagim and how that kind of intersects with vacation days. We are about to have a year in which the vast majority of the Chagim are on weekends. So it's less of an issue. But like the past couple of years, there have been so many days that I needed to take off. I also, I take two days. I know some people just take one day, but um, I take both. And so it just like adds up to a lot. And I have thought a lot about, I have a lot of friends who, who only take one day. And I've thought a lot about doing that, but ultimately I'm just like, not in that headspace. So I have not had a problem with the leaving early on Friday, but I have generally had to, you know, say I'm going to stay later other days to make up for it, or I'm going to you know, log more hours other days to make up for it. So my experience is that most places actually will not negotiate with you about more vacation days. Like however many vacation days they have, you can ask to negotiate for more, but typically they won't. However, what I have done is asked for more money and said, this will allow me to feel comfortable taking the Jewish holidays I need to take off as unpaid. And that has worked out. It's kind of dumb <laughs> that it does work out because like the last time I did this, I asked for $5,000 more and I didn't even end up hitting the PTO maximum so I just got $5,000 more, <laughs> even if I would have had to take five days of unpaid time. <laughs> I am very well paid. <laughs> I don't make $1,000 a day. And therefore, <laughs> um, I still would have come out ahead. It's one of those things where like, it doesn't really make sense, but policy is policy sometimes. And so if that's the way they want to do it, that's fine with me. I haven't had bad experiences bringing it up, but it is something that does always make me feel pretty stressed out when I bring it up. And I do think really hard about how I um, want to bring it up. So I just want to say, I want to tell a little funny story, which is that, so I got an offer for a job last week and I'm kind of in the negotiation phase. So on Friday, I emailed the CEO and I was like, I negotiated on the salary a little bit. And I said, I also want to let you know that I'm an observant Jew. And the way that this shows up at work is that in the winter, I need to leave early. I have historically dealt with this by just like logging more hours earlier in the week. But I wanted to be upfront about it. If you have any concerns, I'm happy to talk about it. I always, in these kinds of things, I always include a link to My Jewish Learning, a former employer of mine that has really good kind of content that explains some of this stuff if someone wants to learn more. Anyways, I sent that email early Friday afternoon. And after Shabbat, I looked at my email and I had an email from the CEO that he sent at 4.30. And he was like, do you have time to jump on a call in five minutes? The irony. <laughs> And then five minutes later, he sent an email and was like, oh, I didn't realize it was Friday. How about Monday? <laughs> and it was just one of those things where I was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I was glad that he caught it. And like he like it was totally it was dealt with completely fine. I just like had to laugh because <laughs> it was one of those like, yep, you, we don't really know each other yet. <laughs> <laughs> so. So yeah, that's kind of how I have addressed it in the interview process. And then there's like a whole separate thing of like, 
how much do you bring up your Jewish life to your work friends when you're working? So that's kind of like in the interview process where it shows up, but there's a whole separate thing of like, once you're in a job, especially like Zahava was saying, when you are working remotely, when and how and do you bring up your like Jewish life? I'm curious to hear from both of you about how often you feel like you drop Jewishness in <laughs> in conversation with your colleagues and how that kind of goes over. I'm smiling because I, I actually just had um, an interaction that I haven't really processed yet. I've shared with both of you that I've been trying out wearing a headband as my head covering during when I go to shul during services and at other times on Shabbat. One Friday, just maybe a couple of weeks ago, I was like, okay, I'm going to like wear my headband to work just because it looked cute with my outfit, not out of any like sense of obligation necessarily. The coworker who I saw is also Jewish. She was like, oh, headbands. And I was like, yeah, I'm trying it out. It's something that a lot of people in my Jewish community do. And I could, I could see the gears turning in her head of like, oh, I didn't know that's the kind of Jewish community Mimi's in. Like, hmm. what, what's going on? Like, let me play catch up really quick. I feel like I, I'm often like very comfortable talking about like what we're making for, like what we're going to do for Rosh Hashanah or where we're going to go for our seders for Passover. But to talk about like, I guess practice not around food felt a lot more intimate. Yeah. What about you, Zahava? Now that you are not going to be uh, not eating off the office forks, since the office forks are your forks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did actually just join a co-working space, which has its own forks, which is a whole different thing. But the people <laughs> there are not really my co-workers, ironically, despite the name. Right. Yeah, I... Um, I did just dodge the co-working space awkward holiday potluck party, which was going to be awkward for at least four reasons. So I just I just skipped it. Yeah. Well, okay. So my brain goes in a couple of directions here. One is that because this is such a big part of me, I do occasionally feel the need to just like be Jewish out loud. One sort of innocuous moment was I was on a Zoom call with coworkers in the middle of Passover and people just happened to be like swapping restaurant recommendations near the office. These are all people who work in person at least a couple of days a week. I don't, but that's fine. So they were saying, oh, I tried out this great new sandwich place. It was amazing. And here's what I ordered. And then in just on the side in the chat, not interrupting the flow of the conversation, I was like, you guys are killing me. I've been eating so much matzah this week. <laughs> like, it was a very innocuous comment, but it was also, I don't know, I just, that is in fact what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just didn't, in the same way that the chat on Zoom meetings at that organization tend to be very chill and kind of peanut gallery-ish, I just didn't censor out the version, the Jewish version of that that was actually happening in my head. Mimi, it's interesting that you're saying that it felt more intimate when it was a practice that wasn't food. I feel like for me, the line is between practice and reason slash meaning right. behind the practice or any other aspect of my Judaism, right? Like I am very chill answering your question about my particular tradition or observance, but nobody wants to hear someone show up at the office talking about their faith. <laughs> and there, there's just like an interesting etiquette line between like, let me share my interesting cultural practice with you and like, let me talk about my beliefs. Right. I think that that's kind of a social acceptability line more than it is a line that comes from me, 
which is fine. Like, I don't mind it. I don't go to work wishing I could talk about my belief system. (laughs) I'd be much less coherent about it, I think, than describing a practice. But I also feel like the effect of that is that people's understanding of my Judaism is as a pile of practices and strictures. Mm -hmm. And that feels sort of less than and a little sad to me that like people's understanding, like, oh, being an Orthodox Jew is about that big pile of practices and strictures. Mm -hmm. Like that's their understanding of my Judaism. And I don't have a good way around that, but I do feel that it is a limitation in what I'm conveying. I... Well, a couple of things. First of all, I think some people very much do want to talk about their faith even at work. I don't want to, and I don't want other people to do it at me, but I have experienced that there are people who do want that. So (laughs) yeah, so take that for, for what you will. But I do think that it's hard because it's like at work, you're, you're being your work self which is different from your home self and your shul self and your, you know, parenting self or whatever. They're just not the same. Like you're, I think most of us are trying to like present a very specific kind of slice of ourselves at work. And so it makes sense to me to leave pieces out of that. But I do try and be relatively intentional about kind of like dropping that I'm Jewish relatively early on in conversations with colleagues because even though it's not a piece that like shows up very much at work, it's a huge component of my life. And it would feel really weird to me if like six months down the line working with someone, they were like, you're Jewish. I didn't know that. Like that would feel bad to me, I think. And so I do try and sprinkle it in. I just feel like who meets Tamar Fox and sees your CV and doesn't know that you're Jewish. Um, I guess some people don't know that Tamar is a Jewish name. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know that Tamar is a Jewish name. I mean, also a lot of people just call me Tamara. And also like most people that I work with haven't seen my CV. Right, right. Only the person who hired me and even that person like, I mean, there's now one Jewish thing on it, but it's like the very bottom most thing. It's the least important. It's talking in shul, right? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Um, (laughs) It's just like, I I don't think people necessarily know otherwise. And I do make an effort to drop it early on. I also, um, when I'm going to be out of the office for a Jewish holiday, I always make sure to say in my like message to my colleagues, like, hey, I'm going to be away on Monday and Tuesday for Rosh Hashanah. And I like link to the My Jewish Learning Rosh Hashanah 101 article and say like, I will be totally offline. Like here's who to contact if anything comes up. But I want people to know that like I'm doing a thing right now. And partially, I guess I feel that way just because it's like, well, I know when you're celebrating Christmas so why can't you know when I'm celebrating Rosh Hashanah? Like, I, I almost think of it as an equity thing. But also, I basically see it as an opportunity to educate people. And I just think it's like, I might feel differently if I didn't like my colleagues, but typically I do. And so I want to use an opportunity to just be like, I think that a lot of people think of Jews as basically like Jerry Seinfeld, and also Chassidim. And like the fact that there might be somebody between there and that that person might be like, 
have purple hair and also observe Shabbat every week. I want more people to know that that's a thing. That's for me, the reason behind doing it is like, I want there to be a little more of a sense among people who I work with that like, there's perhaps more variety in what being Jewish can look like than they are aware of. It sounds like we none of us have experienced direct anti-Semitism at work. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but it, it sounds like we're talking about this in in a much more subtle way than I am afraid that bringing this up will trigger discrimination in my context. I don't know. Does, is that something other than the I'm afraid of what will happen when I disclose my Shabbat observance during an interview, which is a form of anti-Semitism, but also is really, for me at least, a form of worrying that I'm going to reveal myself as a big inconvenience before you've decided to hire me. Yeah. But other than that, I don't personally in my field worry about genuine anti-Semitism at work. But obviously that is true of some people. I don't know. Is that something that you carry around as a fear, either of you? Definitely not for me. I don't carry it around as a fear, but I think that part of what I am doing when I am dropping my Judaism in conversations is a, a testing the waters. Like basically, I want to know if I'm working with someone who is anti-Semitic and is comfortable like outing themselves as such in some kind of way, because that's information I want to have. And and that's another reason why I want to, I do bring it up before I start work, not just because like it's smart to do that, but also because like if they have a negative reaction to that, I don't want to find that out when I've already started working there. Um, and I understand that I'm very privileged that like, I feel like if if I were to encounter that, I wouldn't be totally stuck. I would feel comfortable leaving the job. I feel like it's a, I think defense mechanism is like overstating it because it's not really defense. It's more like an, uh, it's me testing the waters and using that information. But yeah, I, I'm curious. Mimi, I, I guess you probably have a very different take if you work in a Jewish organization. Yeah, I think if anything, the, you know, working at mostly historically Jewish agencies, like sometimes I think, you know, in social services and maybe in all jobs, this is just the field that I'm in. There's like bonding over shared inconveniences and annoyances. And sometimes when most of your clients are Jewish, and maybe the thing that's annoying about them is something that's stereotypically Jewish, then I remember in in past jobs hearing just like stereotypes thrown around and grumblings. It was never anything that I felt endangered by, but it is something that I'm aware of, like trying not to align myself too closely with the really annoying client who also happens to be Jewish. Mm-hmm. My, not aligning myself in like their Jewish practice too closely or I, I don't know I'm not being very articulate about it um yeah there there are actually a lot of examples there that it it I, it still feels very different to me than Zahava as you were describing like somebody who experiences outright anti-semitism at work in preparation for this show we did I did find uh an article in uh HR Dive, a publication I have not spent any time in otherwise, but it does say that one in four hiring managers say there's less likely to hire Jewish applicants. And I was really surprised by that. And I 
I don't know if that's naive on my part or I have kind of just questions about like how, what does that mean? Because they can't, they're not allowed to ask if you're Jewish and they can't necessarily tell by looking at you or by your name, although they might make assumptions. Yeah, I was surprised by that. And I also just feel like my kind of personal feeling has been like, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to work with someone who doesn't want to work with me, um, which is like a very personal take. It's This is obviously much more of a systemic issue. But to me, it is one of those things where it's like, well, I don't want to work somewhere where they're going to have that attitude. So it's like upsetting to hear that that's a thing. But also, I wouldn't want to be the person who forces my way into a job that doesn't feel comfortable hiring somebody Jewish, which does feel kind of like a double-edged sword. I do think the Shabbat observance thing winds up being much more fraught in fields that have very long hour norms, Mm -hmm. you know, early years of corporate law or finance or, you know, any, any number of other jobs where the expectation is long hours, you know, consulting, the notion that somebody could be truly unavailable, like not be able to just stay that extra two hours and power through and finish the thing. I think the line that's seen as like an unreasonable ask of the workplace to to grant you like it's it, it's sort of culturally different I think in different fields and people don't I think realize the anti-semitism that they're perpetuating in circumstances like that that's more of a like structural problem I mean as it happens I work in a pretty progressive public policy subfields that is very social justice conscious and pluralism conscious and it also happens that my last boss was Jewish and like her Jewishness was a very big part of her identity. We weren't the same kind of observant, but that isn't important for this context. So on the one hand, that's really helpful, right? If I say to her, it looks like they've scheduled the company retreat for the middle of Sukkot. I don't need to provide more information for her to go like, oh, fine, let me go talk to them. Can't they look at a freaking calendar? <laughs> but at the same time, I think progressive social justice circles People are very front and center about their values and tend not to be super religious in the way that I think of myself as religious. I mean, I think just culturally, yeah. it's, you know, because people associate church going or, or uh, you know, being more out there with your religiosity with, with, uh, with right wing causes and right wing politics in the U.S. right now, that those circles tend not, they just tend to be more secular. And so it creates a different kind of friction. So I had a really interesting experience with the boss that I just mentioned where she was promoted and was going to be supervising people in a different way on the team. And she was sort of reintroduced to everyone in this new capacity. And she knew she was going to be asked to share, okay, what motivates you in this work? What personally fires you up for the causes that we work on? And... About half an hour before this meeting, she sent me a private chat, you know, on the on Microsoft Teams, which is the platform we used. And she said, can I ask you a personal question? If somebody asked you how your Jewishness informs or affects how you think about our work, how would you answer that? Would you have an answer for that? And we had again, over chat, a pretty personal exchange about what it means to be involved in social justice work as somebody who is pretty privileged in our current context, but is only a couple of generations removed from literal genocide. 
and much less well-off circumstances and our consciousness of discrimination and wanting to pay our good fortune forward. And that kind of thing is rooted very much in my Jewish experience and in her Jewish experience. And this was something she had never shared with this team of people before. She had had versions of a conversation of like what, you know, what motivates you in this work. And she had said other elements of it, other elements of of her personal feelings on the subject of our work, but not the Jewish side of it. And she was debating whether or not to share this in her reintroduction to the team. I was like, I don't want to put pressure on you to do anything that you don't want to do. I also think that you have talked a lot about, and in this leadership role, we'll continue to talk about the diversity, equity, inclusion ethos of this organization as meaning that you can show up with your whole self to work. And there may be some value in modeling that, but that doesn't mean you should share anything that you don't want these people to know or have about you. You know, so I sort of, I gave that to her as like a permission and a push, I think. Mm -hmm. And she took it and she did share that with the whole team. And I don't know if it was as meaningful to other people as it was to me. And I think as it was to her, we, it was a very powerful exchange that we had. And I think she felt really free to do this thing that, that she actually did find really powerful. I think it's so powerful when people do that, particularly because there are so many ideas about religious people in general, that they are like conservative, have conservative values. There's just like a lot of ideas that people have about what it means to be religious, particularly in the, in the United States. And I can't, I can't really speak to Canada, but I assume it's somewhat similar. Me either. <laughs> and so I think there's something powerful about being like, no, actually my religious identity does drive some of my professional life. And also that might look different than you might expect. I, I understand a lot of hesitation around that, but I also think, yeah, it can be so powerful to hear it. And it's helpful to expand people's ideas about what it looks like to be religious, that it doesn't always look like a white man thumping a Bible. Yeah, I just find that hopeful. Mm-hmm. Well, we've covered a lot. But I know that there's a lot more to say about this. So if you all have thoughts or things that we didn't cover, uh, we would love to hear from you. Again, you can email me with your feedback at tamar.fox at gmail.com. Please put talking in shul in the subject line. But now we have come to the, I was going to say NSFW portion of our show, but that's not necessarily true. <laughs> the non-work portion. <laughs> what are you planning to endorse? Is that a challenge? <laughs> I mean, I do have a romance novel to endorse, but the non-work portion of our show. So let's start with our endorsements. Zahava, what do you have to endorse this month? Okay, so a pre-endorsement note. I had said in our earlier conversation that I would loop back to something that related to the Tree of Life shooting, which I ultimately didn't because I loved the spot where we ended and didn't want to bring it down. But I have actually tweeted about this conversation that I've had. So I will link to that tweet thread in show notes and people can read it if they are so inclined. The thing that I want to endorse, I feel like I'm pushing the boundaries of what counts as a Jewish endorsement here. I am endorsing a book by a Jewish author that includes chapters on some Jewish people, but is not in any way specifically a Jewish book. 
Okay. So I want to endorse the book Lady Justice by Dahlia Lithwick. Mm. So this is a new in 2022 book by Dahlia Lithwick who covers the courts and the law for Slate magazine. And she is basically profiling a series of women in the law who have used their role within the law as part of pushing back during and around the Trump years. And two of my favorite chapters in the book happen to be featuring Jewish women. One is her um, focus on Becca Heller, who is the founder, co-founder of the International Refugee Assistance Project and the moment in which she was involved in rallying lawyers to airports in the moments of of the first Muslim ban um, and what the whole process looked like behind the scenes and, and what it looked like as a sort of legal, a piece of legal activism. Another is her interview with Robbie Kaplan, Roberta Kaplan, who uh, previously was better known actually as the lawyer who represented Edie Windsor um, in the Supreme Court case that struck down the Defense of Marriage Act. But actually, Robbie Kaplan took on basically totally unprompted the cause of finding a way to hold the Charlottesville Unite the Right marchers legally culpable. And this is I think a really undertold story. I didn't know really anything about it. She's not a prosecutor, right? She was filing a civil suit and what it meant, she uh, used an old law that's referred to as the KKK Act to basically sue people for engaging in violent white supremacy. And both of these chapters and stories are really interesting, also separate from any Jewish connection. I think the chapter on Christine Blasey Ford and Anita Hill and the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings is one of the most clarifying things I have ever read about our social response to the Me Too movement. Mm. And in general, it's a fantastic book and really tells you what it means, what legal reporting is, that it is both legal knowledge and genuine reporting, interviewing people, understanding the context. It's not just, let me explain precedent to you, but there's also true journalism involved, not just a law degree. It's a really good book. I strongly recommend it. So Lady Justice by Dahlia Lithwick. Mm, That sounds great. I can't wait to add that to my list. So I want to share, I think related to our conversation about being Jewish in the workplace, an article I recently read from Rolling Stone called There Are a Lot of Jews in Hollywood, Let a Rabbi Explain Why by Rabbi J. Michelson. Maybe embarrassingly, but whatever. I learned about this article from Amy Schumer's Instagram. <laughs> she shared some <laughs> Amazing. Of it. Um, but I thought it was a really, just a really well-written and clear history of certain industries that we classify as Jewish and really like why that came about, which spoiler is anti-Semitism and Jews being sort of kept out of other fields. Michelson writes this in the wake of Kanye West and other high-profile celebrities talking about Dave Chappelle, talking about how there are so many Jews in Hollywood and just making um, really dangerous connections there. So excited to link to it and yeah, curious to hear what other people thought of this. And then the second thing I want to introduce is Much Lighter, which is a Hanukkah album that my son and I have really been enjoying called Sheerla Shabbat by Debbie Bruckman. I hope I'm saying her name right. 
This really came about because my son was coming home from preschool singing parts of Jewish songs that I, like the dinosaur docking on your door wants to say Shabbat to me, What spend Shabbat with me. Uh. Anyway, I was like trying to sing along, didn't really know the words. He definitely <laughs> wasn't carrying the tune, but we found a great, <laughs> thank you, Debbie Brookman for recording a really fun version of that stupid dinosaur. Um, <laughs> excited to share that with all of you as well. Amazing. I have saved up a bunch of things to endorse. So my first endorsement is, as promised, a romance novel. It's called Promised Land by Rose Lerner. Have you ever thought to yourself, you know what I want? A cross-dressing, second-chance romance, Jewish romance novel that takes place in the Revolutionary War and features a celebration of Sukkot. Well, well, yes, I have tomorrow. <laughs> what, what would you recommend? Well, I have I got the book for you. Um, <laughs> Promised Land is totally bizarre and wonderful. It has like actual Jewish people caring about Judaism. And it also features like, as I kind of mentioned, my favorite thing where anything makes it clear that like there's different ways that people do Judaism. And that happens in this book. And it's just so good. So, and it's also short. It's a novella. So like you can totally finish it in like one or two sittings. So I highly recommend it. And I haven't read more of her work, but apparently Rose Lerner has a bunch of like actually good Jewish romances. So I look forward to reading more of them. I also wanted to endorse the Personal Emergency and Tough Times Guide. I've linked to it in the show notes. And basically... This is a Google form that you can make a copy of and send to your community, your friends, your family, whatever, and have people fill out. And it basically allows people to share with you what are the ways that you can help them when they are having a hard time, whether that is bringing them food or helping them with kids or money or other kinds of support. And I think that this is something that we just like, the right way to help people is so important and it's hard to necessarily land on that in the moment. And so taking an opportunity to make your own copy of this, send it to your community, asking people to fill it out before they're in an emergency or a tough time means that when when that does happen, which it inevitably does for most of us, you actually have something to go off of and you don't need to bug them in that moment. So I think it's really, really smart and wonderful. I will say that I have one friend who doesn't have children and she said she felt like it leans pretty heavily into like how it might be helpful for a family with children. But I think the idea is good. So even if you have to kind of tweak it for your own needs, it's worth doing. And the last thing that I want to endorse is this show called The Patient, which is on Hulu. Have either of you watched this? Oh, I've heard so much about this. It's a show in which Steve Carell is, I believe he's a psychiatrist, and he has a kind of weird patient. The patient ends up kidnapping him and turns out to be a murderer. He is forced into this bizarre situation where he's having to give therapy to this person under duress. At the same time, he is kind of thinking about his life outside of this kidnapping, and his wife was a cantor at a reform synagogue. She recently died, and he has two children, 
and one of them is Balchuba. And a lot of what he is kind of like wrestling with while he's living through this terrible thing is the tension between him and his son, who's Balchuba. So his son got very religious in college. And it's like, first of all, I just feel like I've never seen that particular thing depicted in media before. The the really hard feelings that families go through when somebody gets significantly more or less religious. I think it's interesting to see it. It makes me a little uncomfortable. I haven't finished the show yet, but the this dad is very negative about his son getting from, and that feels a little... I mean, I think that is, like, real. I've definitely seen that happen, but it's making me feel a little stressed out watching it because I'm wondering how... Does that, like... I don't know. I, I'm watching it through these eyes of, like, does this ultimately kind of help the anti-Semites? And also, like, I just think it's... There's something kind of unfair about parents who look at their children getting more religious and really, like, make it about themselves and not about, like, your kid is looking for something and, like, this is the thing that they found and it's not the thing that you like, but maybe that's okay. You know, like, they also could have found, like, Scientology. So, like, maybe this is better than that. (laughs) I don't know. I have a lot of feelings about it. I really want to talk about it with people. So if you have watched it and you want to talk about it with me, I would love to hear from you. And if you haven't watched it, it is kind of a stressful watch. Sounds like it. (laughs) So like, I'm not watching it with my partner because he is just like, this is not for me. And that's totally fair. But I am enjoying it and I have a lot of thoughts about it. So. Okay, can I ask you a question about it? Yeah. When I saw a general description of this show, I mentally categorized it as like kind of horror. Like I don't, I don't tend to watch, I mean, there's obviously like literal horror, but I don't tend to watch things that are like, you know, horrible kidnapping suspense, will this person survive brutality kind of things. And that's how I had categorized it. And I just sort of moved on. I didn't seriously consider watching it. Should I, even if that's usually really not my cup of tea? Uh, I don't know. I guess let me finish the season and I'll get back to you. I mean, I don't think that's like a wrong impression of what it is. But it, it's interesting because it's also this other thing. I, I mean, <laughs> this is such a Tamar Fox thing to say, but like, I don't care about the murderer. Just tell me more about the family dynamics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of murderer family dynamics as well. So who can say? I'll, I'll let you know when I finish if I think it's worth you adding to your queue. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. But that show is on Hulu if anyone is interested in watching it. Okay. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, And thanks to Jordan Daniel Mills for editing our show. If you have a minute, it would be really great if you could leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you use. And of course, we always love to hear suggestions for what we should talk about on future episodes. You can leave a comment on a post on our Facebook page, search for Jewish Public Media or at jpmedia.co. You can also donate to jpmedia.co which is a great way to support our show and make sure that we can keep bringing you new episodes. Zahava, thank you so much. Thanks so much. This was great. Yeah, it was. Mimi, thank you. This was awesome. All right. I will see you all next month.